Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guests are Kelly and Juliet Starrett. Kelly is a doctor of physical therapy, and Juliet is an entrepreneur, attorney, author, and podcaster. Kelly and Juliet are the co-founders of TheReadyState.com, which has revolutionized how athletes think about human movement and athletic performance. They are co-authors of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Deskbound, and co-hosts of the Ready State podcast. Kelly consults with athletes and coaches from the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB, and the U.S. Olympic team and CrossFit. He works with elite Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard forces and consults with corporations on employee health and well-being. Dr. Starrett's work is not limited to coaches and athletes. His methods apply equally well to children, desk jockeys, and anyone dealing with injury and chronic pain. He believes that every human should know how to move and be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. In this episode, Kelly and Julia share how we can improve our mobility so we can increase our quality of life and live longer. They provide us with ways to test our mobility and how to add daily mobility supporting activities that can fit into our busy lives seamlessly. Kelly and Julia, welcome to the show. I mean, right, we could have just bantered on and on before we got started. Um, But thank you so much for coming on. I am pumped about this conversation. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. We read your bios, but I always start every episode with, I want to hear from you guys a little bit more. That was, you know, wasn't in your bio about how you started your journey to starting the Ready State and ultimately writing Built to Move as well. Well, I I would define my own professional career path as like taking a lot of extreme right angles and certainly not following a linear path. Um, I was started my athletic career as a rower in high school, and then I was a D1 rower at Berkeley. And I also then became a river rafting guide. And I did that because when I was um, a freshman in college, I had the summer before I had worked as a hostess at a restaurant. And I knew in that moment that I was not a person who was going to work in the restaurant business. And my sole goal was to find a job where I could be outside, get tan, and ideally be able to fraternize with some attractive men. Dude, that's the jacked and tan plan. Jacked and tan Um, plan. That's the game. So I concluded that becoming a river rafting guide checked all those boxes. And so I became a guide, um, which then led to, um, you know, competing as a professional whitewater athlete for five years after college. Um, and then after being super tired of being stone cold, broke and living out of my car, I went to law school, which is sort of my original plan, but I, I delayed it um, to be a professional athlete. I practiced law at a big law firm for seven and a half years and then um, got into, you know, I spent the last 20 years in this health, wellness, fitness business. And I'll let Kelly take it from there. But yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of different things over the years um, and definitely it's not a straight line. <laughs> the best CEO training camp there ever was, though, being yeah. a guide, then an attorney, then, you know, running yeah. a gym. True fact. And you're in your as your side hustle. I also was a professional athlete. I paddled in the U.S. canoe and kayak team and then met Juliet at this Whitewater World Championship in Chile in 2000. And I had this moment of Satori. I've only had a couple of these things happen to me, but I was like, oh, this is the woman I'll spend the rest of my life with. Dunk. I moved from Durango to the Bay discovered I was a kayak rep at the time um, 
and had gone through a really bad injury that really ended my paddling aspirations, a self-created injury, and ended up going to physio school. And when we were in physio school, Julia is a working attorney, we discovered this early model called CrossFit. And there were five CrossFits in the world. And we opened up the 21st CrossFit affiliate ever in San Francisco. And we did that while I was in physio school and while Juliet was an attorney. And so simultaneously, we're at the, the really the beginning of this explosion in the industrial fitness complex. We're starting to see the internet really proliferate. You know, we couldn't buy kettlebells in San Francisco when we started. And buying- There was no rogue fitness. Oh, we welded our own stuff. And, you know, what people don't understand is that, you know, to buy Olympic lifting shoes, which are really common now, I literally bought my first Olympic lifting shoes out of the back of a car, like a drug deal. And, you know, and they so, definitely were like wood sold, oh yeah, for like sure. original Olympic lifting so shoes. So fast forward here, we're running a gym. I'm a physio. Uh, we move the physical therapy practice into the, to the gym and we start realizing that we're, we're developing a model of understanding complex movement behavior because we're exposing everyone to these formal movement languages of gymnastics and barbell training and monostructural running and things like this. And we start teaching a course about all of this, how to take care of your body, because we really see that there's a huge gap between training and physiotherapy. The physical therapy injury sort of spectrum could not be further from the point where people are training and their daily experience. It's like waiting, you know, eat whatever you want. And then when you're on fire, go to the hospital and try to figure out. You can see that we really need to get into people's homes. And there was a lot that wasn't being addressed that we had told people that pain was a medical problem. So they would just wait around until the pain got so bad they couldn't occupy their role in the family or do something. And Julie and I started moving closer to, hey, why don't we use training as a diagnostic tool? And subsequently, our original iteration of the Ready State was born called Mobility Wad, where we set out to just, we didn't set out to start a business. We set out to make a video a day for a year about how to take care of your body. And that's all the way back in 2010 when barely was YouTube was barely a thing. You know, there was no Twitter. There was no, there was none of this stuff. And all we did was start being very transparent. And lo and behold, we start teaching. We got a book contract, Supple Leopard, uh, Becoming a Supple Leopard came out in 2013. And really our focus at the time was how can we help the world's best athletes get better? How do we help people simultaneously take those lessons and transfer the ideas of mechanics and position and restoration into improved output. So fast forward now, it's 2023. Um, we've had 10 years of really living in a high-performance environment where we get to see everyone's dirty laundry. I mean, literally everyone from professional surfers to the all blacks, the, the Niners, we just see everyone's stuff. And what we realized is that fitness had failed people. We were fatter, sicker, on more drugs, having more surgeries, more back pain. Uh, more social isolation, and that trillion-dollar fitness experiment we've been running for 10 years really wasn't serving, purporting to serve, or wasn't actually serving the people it's purporting to serve. So we really had this idea in the pandemic, particularly that, man, there's a real opportunity here. We need to transmute all of the lessons we're learning in high performance into the lives of actual people who don't even see themselves as athletes or aren't sort of predisposed to this athletic thing that we is such a natural part of our daily day experience. So that's how we ended up backing into this project built to move, saying if could we go from high performance actually to where it matters and that's people's lives and households of sort of the, our neighbors. And there's one other lens um, that I have to mention through which we wrote this book, and that is that we are 
raising two kids. We're busy working parents, running a couple of businesses. And, you know, we have now an 18 and a 14-year-old daughter. But when we started our businesses, um, you know, they were babies and they were part of the, you know, they, our daughter was born the same year we opened our CrossFit gym. Um, and and as an aside, you know, people thought we were totally crazy because they're like, wait, you're an attorney, you're a physical therapist, and you have a baby and you're going to open this gym. Um, but, I was you know, in grad school. You were in, still in grad school. But, um, you know, we live in this, you know, like quaint suburban community north of San Francisco. Um, you know, we do have a lot of friends who are health and wellness and fitness nerds, but we have a lot of friends who aren't. We have a lot of friends who we've gotten to know in our community through our kids' sports and schools. And, you know, these are universally people who care about their health. They want to feel good in their bodies. They want to be out of pain. They want to manage their weight. You know, they want to feel good as they age. You know, now that I'm, you know, cresting 50, I have a lot of my female friends who are dealing with the impact of perimenopause, menopause. And we became kind of a node in our community for those people. You know, at any given day, there's someone stopping by our house being like, hey, I threw out my back. And hey, you know, should I take X supplement and what diet should I be on? And what we saw in that community was that people were overwhelmed and confused and that no one had given them like a, a single, you know, like like cookbook of like, here's how you kind of keep an eye on your health. And these are sort of the things that you should watch out for. And those lessons often were based on what we as two busy working parents figured out we could actually do consistently in our lives. And we're objective and, and evidence-based. You know, with your own your own background, you know, it doesn't matter if people have the knowledge that they're supposed to do something if they don't actually do it, right? Like, that's great that you know you should eat a vegetable if you can't do it. Um, and so I think we really started thinking critically about what are the habits that we as two busy working parents who are not critically waking up in the morning and journaling, meditating, doing yoga, you know, red light therapy, red light therapy. Like, and I think what, what we've seen, what we've seen in the fitness business is not what most people's lives look like. They don't, no, most people who are, fit care, right? yeah, most people don't have time to do the things that we're, you know, suggesting people do. And so, and we don't have time to do those things either. You know, we spend most of our time in front of a computer and we're getting two kids out the door to school in the morning. You know, we're not like, meditating for half think, an hour. I think that's our critique on longevity is that yeah. it's really expensive and does not, it's not inclusive. It actually cuts people out from all of the technology, all the ideas, all the behaviors that help them live their life. And then we've really gone far afield on this question. But the last thing I'll say is there's a billion amazing books on out there on some of the subjects that we cover in this book, like sleep and breathing and, you know, obviously nutrition and fitness. There's a billion of those books. But what there's not is a single book that says, hey, you know, these are the base camp habits that all humans should do upon which objective, objective that upon which high performance can be built or just basic health can be built. And, you know, everything else is kind of an extracurricular, including controversially exercise. Yeah, I mean, even just hearing you say going from athletes, to right, like your everyday person that that is obviously right like what most people need but what are you looking for or what do you see most often in those people to be able to determine that their mobility is most likely affecting their longevity or in a sense too they're not aging well due to their mobility we should define mobility. Juliet, take a swing, define yeah, mobility so, first, because no one ever does that. Like, what, what do we mean when we can say that? Yeah. When I say nutrition, 
what you think and what I think, I think cookies and ice cream, that's like deep nutrition. And you think probably, you know, other healthier foods. You just like poor Kate Shanahan just died right there. Deep nutrition with cookies and ice cream. Anyway, um, you know, we define mobility as the ability to move freely through your environment without pain and to be able to do the things you want to do with your body physically, whatever that means to you. So if that means you like to garden or play with your grandkids or mountain bike or ski or I mean, any number of you know, well, there's thousands of different ways you can enjoy moving your body and everybody does something that they like. Um, And, you know, what we've seen is, and the sort of analogy we like to use is if you think of your, if you think of your ability to move freely or your mobility as this wide open hallway, what we see as people start to age is the hallway starts to constrict. And often people don't connect that constricted hallway to their lack of mobility right, or range of motion. They have less movement choice. They have less movement mm-hmm. choice. So, you know, I'm sure you know people who, and, and I'm one of those people, used to be able to run, can't run anymore because I have some injuries, right? So my hallway is constricted in that I can no longer run for fun. Um, you know, but, or people have shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, or they just feel stiff and sore. Or maybe, you know, in my mom's case, she didn't really practice her balance and she lost her ability to really feel safe and comfortable riding a bike by the time she was in her late 60s even though she's, you know, fit and healthy in every other way. So I think, you know, the way that people start to see it is they stop being able to do the things they love to do, either because they're stiff or in pain or just no longer feel comfortable doing them for whatever reason. But I think people do fail to make the connection that their, you know, constricting hallway is often due to a lack of mobility and range of motion. And one of the things that we have not done a good job of is giving people clear benchmarks and vital signs around movement. What we tell people is like, all movement is good. It's all good. Just keep moving. And that's true. That's what we want you to do. We want you to be consistent with the thing and the way you move that you want to do. But your movement practice, the expression of you doing what all the things, the miraculous things your body can do, your body's capable of writing a Shakespeare sonnet. And yet most people have three words that they're using, which is stand up from the bed, sit down to the chair, stand back and walk around a little bit, bring my hand to my face. That's most of what is expressed with people during a day-to-day thing. It may, they may go weeks without actually putting their arms all the way up over their head and taking a breath in that position. Or they may not ever squat all the way down because their environment gives them cues that they don't ever have to squat all the way down. They don't sit on the floor. They don't. So what we start to see is that the body starts to reflect the practice it's getting in its environment. And when we stop using these critical range of motion, we tend to lose access to those ranges of motion. It's very simple. And that can be because we're stiff. It can be because we don't load those tissues, even though they require loading to be healthy. Or it may just be that our brains no longer perceive that position as safe anymore. Or because we had an old injury, or we, we don't ever reach my hand back. And suddenly, you know, we go years and years and years and people can't do all of the things they need to be able to do so or should be able to do. And so one of the things that we want to make clear here is there's no reason why you should lose access to your range of motion as you age. That doesn't have to happen. Your range of motion and the expression of that range of motion, the things you love, doesn't have to decay. You just have to keep an eye on it and practice it. So now the real question here is, well, what are essential sort of vital signs, one or zero, as in sort of how can I come up with minimums about what I should be able to do with my body? What are those things that I can run a physical on myself? 
and sort of assess the quality of my life, the quality of my training, what's happening. If I'm doing something like yoga regularly, again, you're not going to go to the Olympics if you only do yoga, but chances are you're going to be able to keep an eye on these ranges of motion and you will be able to do all the things you want to do. Now we can start to spin that up. Now I add some, some sprints and some kettlebell swings and we have a really beefy practice in there, right? A little deadlifting, a little yoga, a little hill sprints. Man, you're going to be a thousand years old and really powerful. But if your movement language, your movement diet doesn't include regularly touching these shapes, they will go away from you. And suddenly your balance starts to go you wonder why you have knee pain going down hills. It's because maybe you don't have hip extension. Your ankles, you have to turn your feet out. Well, your ankles got super stiff. You're wearing flip-flops and you don't have any ankle range of motion and your arches collapse because you've been wearing these shoes that tell you to do that. So what we've done poorly is given people clear benchmarks and ideas around, hey, this is what you should be able to do. Do what you want. Just keep an eye on your minimums. Yeah, and is that what you guys found too in your CrossFit gym? Were you adjusting the way you were running your oh, gym yeah. and having the movements you were doing that people were doing, because I will say, I feel like when CrossFit first came out too, a lot of people, one of the concerns was that people were getting injured, especially women, because they weren't doing the movements properly, obviously, right? They weren't being taught or like, well, walked through. Let's say this, that in yeah. order to be effective at gymnastics, <laughs> at swinging kettlebells, at handling mm -hmm. barbells, you just have to be normal. You just have to have access to baseline range of motion. And what we see yeah. suddenly is that people do not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we have a, a test in the book called the airport arm scanner overhead test, right? It's basically predicated on us traveling, watching people put their arms over their head in the, in the background scanner and being horrified. And, and we're sorry now that we've ruined the airport scanner for everyone listening to this. Because you'll see once that. Once you see what, once you start to understand this, you can't go through the airport scanner without like sort of vomiting in your mouth a little bit. So suddenly we're like, hey, I see you can't put your arms over your head, but we're doing pull-ups and we're pressing and we're swinging kettlebells overhead mm -hmm. and we're going to Olympic snatch and we're going to do downward dog and we're going to, right? We're going to yeah. go swim and you can't even do the thing required to do the thing. Because the body is so durable, though, we get a lot of licks at the, at the lollipop before we get to the chewy center. And that chewy center may be pain. That chewy center may be, hey, I actually have exceeded my tissue tolerance, or I can't do this motion. And so what we failed to appreciate is that we've never, ever put a diagnostic tool into the training idea. It was just as long as you added another kilo and went a little faster, you were good to go. And what we saw was, man, we ran that experiment until the 80s and 90s, and we broke a lot of eggs because as long as you went faster and didn't get hurt, then that was good enough. Comma, what we left on the table was a lot of performance ideas. So Iyengar is the original OG kid who was like, hey, I see you can't do yoga. Here's a block. I see you can't get into this position. Here's a strap. Here's how we're going to modify these standard yoga positions so that your body can do them because you can't access those positions for whatever you're doing. That's called scaling. That's all of us. And that's, that's called scaling. So very much early on in the process, we saw that if we put everyone to squatting, we were going to squat today, but we were not going to let you squat in a way that satisfied, hey, you went to some arbitrary depth. We wanted to respect your mechanics and your available range of motion that day. And, you know, that, that you know, we, we've talked about this in the CrossFit context because that's where, you know, the universe where we came from. But 
mm-hmm. if you apply what Kelly just said to literally Running, any sport or practice, right? Swimming. Like massive amounts of injuries in yoga, for example. Like people don't think about that, but there's a massive injury rate in yoga. And it's for the exact same reasons that we're talking about, right? People come in ill-prepared to do the practice and maybe aren't coached well or don't know how to scale. And then they, you know, add some speed or load or whatever it is they're doing. And, you know, that that has negative downstream impacts on them. Um, you know, the other thing I'll say is that, man, if Kelly and I like leave this world just getting people to make this connection between, you know, how they're moving and maybe some of their stiffness and pain and, you know, their range of motion and some of their stiffness and Something pain, we, like, can control, we right? will have like made a big impact yeah. in the world. Because I can't tell you how many sort of weekend warrior athletes, I mean, I'm, we're talking like a thousand and kids, and kids who came into our Jaded. gym, physical therapy clinic, and they're like, hey, you know, I don't understand. I've been doing the same training thing for this long. And, you know, and I all of a sudden like tore my ACL doing the exact same run I do 5,000 times. And, you know, then, of course, when we started digging deeper with those people, you know, nine times out of 10. They were doing their one hour of training block, but then they were sitting for the rest of the day. Um, they and their def- training block was Peloton. They definitely were not spending 10, 15, 20 minutes working on their soft tissues, sort of undoing some of that. They were not walking enough. In many cases, they were not eating a fruit or a vegetable throughout the day. They right? were so, sleeping. So, you know, once we started like peeling the layers, the onion mm-hmm. away, what we see is that is that we can't expect to be able to just trash our bodies athletically and then and then not keep an eye on our range of motion and then later on really be dumbfounded when our knee hurts, our neck hurts, our low back hurts, yeah. we tear a you know ligament or something. Which is like so so we're trying to say we're trying to help people make this connection and ideally before they get injured, um, yeah. so that they can do some of this maintenance and avoid the injury. Um, in the first place. And and it's hard because, you know, as humans, we suffer to we suffer with delayed gratification. Um, it's hard to care. And, you know, I can tell you that like the the people who follow us and do our work religiously are often people who have been injured and they sort of, you know, they have their own moment of Satori. But man, we're trying to get the word out there that if you care a little bit in advance, you may be able to save yourself, you know, a lot of pain and sickness. And who cares and about keep pain and suffering? It's I about do, performance do. and going yeah. faster. And Kelly, it's the same conversation. Yeah, same conversation. That, forget but, this. Like, eh, I don't want my shoulder hurt. Like, I want to win a world championship. Or whatever. That's what's so cool about what we're talking about it's is both. it's the conversation. Or you're just focused on keeping your hallway wide open. You know, like <laughs> Kelly, I want to learn a new sport. We, what we like to do for fun involves moving our body, whatever that is. We love to ski and mountain bike and go down rivers and, and hike and paddle. You know, we have a bunch of stuff we like to do that is very physical. And man, we want to keep our hallway open so we can keep doing those things. And that does mean that you earn having to do put a little input into your body. Yeah, no. And for anyone listening, that's like, oh, I don't know if this is me or it probably is. You guys have such great tests on your social channels. Can we talk a little bit more about those tests that people can do at home to see where their mobility is at? Yeah. So, I mean, we have, you know, the way that our book is divided up is sort of half of the book is uh, half of the book. or It's not in that order necessarily. Our sort of movement and mobility test where people can really get um, take a test and get some idea about how their overall range of motion is. And then the second half of the book are all these behaviors that we've alluded to that we sort of backed into caring about. Right. Like that was 
we didn't start off necessarily wanting to talk to people about walking more or balance or breathing. That wasn't really what our mission was. Like our original mission was to help people be faster and lift more and run faster and, you know, go to the Olympics. But we had to back into these more behavioral um, features because we realized that, of course, it's a giant interconnected system. And that, again, like I mentioned earlier with those weekend warriors, we couldn't have a conversation with someone about, you know, their back pain or their stiffness without also talking to them about their nutrition, their sleep, their breath, and and some of these other things. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I'll just say I think our book is unique because it actually does. It's one of the first books that says, hey, here's how all of these behaviors relate to one another and how, you know, if you walk enough, you're more likely to sleep well. And if you, you know, eat a micronutrient and protein dense diet, you're less likely to have you know, stiffness and pain in your body, right? It's all these things that are really overlapping. Um, but, you know, I would say that our mobility tests um, really sort of focus on, I would say, five major things. Um, can you get up and down off the ground? That's called the sit and rise test. Um, we have something called the couch test, which is Kelly's favorite subject of all time, relates to hip extension. I'll let him elaborate. Um, we already mentioned the airport scanner arm raise test, which is, you know, do you have the shoulder range of motion to do what humans are supposed to do with their shoulders? And again, go to the airport and you'll see most people do not. Um, we have a squat test, of course, we're fans of squatting. And um, I think those are the like main. Mobile. And then we have some balance. We're, we're, you know, we're fans of um, keeping an eye on this thing that nobody wants to practice. And that is balance. Mm. Did I miss any big ones? No, the, the key here is for people to understand that, um, you know, we want third-party validation of what's going on with your life. And so if you're killing it, you'll ace these things. These are not difficult assessments. And they're self-assessments that can be run regularly every day if you want in your house. In fact, we see that the real magic here is consistency. As one of our friends says, bone-crushing consistency. And what we find is that if, you know, my doctoral work was looking at the barriers to adherence for, between people and doing what they need to do. And so through that lens, we really started to view, well, all of this information is great. When do I do it? So we take balance, for example. Balance is a great thing because it makes me a better surfer. It makes me a better skateboarder. It gives me a better, better athleticism. I have better, stronger feet. But it, re really, it helps I, prevent me falling down, both yes. as a young and an old person. That's right. And the number right. one reason people under 65 go to the ER, it's falls, everyone. Mm -hmm. They just fall less often than our elderly people. And if you fall over 65 or 70, it's a bad deal, especially if you fall and break your hip. So there's ways to do this. I can wait around and go and say, hey, Juliet, instead of going hanging out with my friend riding my bike, I'm going to go to this one hour balance class. I'm like, eh, that's kind of lame. I'm not going to do that. I could go to yoga. I'm going to stand on one foot a lot in yoga. That makes a lot of sense. But maybe I don't like to do yoga. So where do I do this? Well, it turns out I'm going to put my shoes on and off every day. And all I need to do is something we call the old man balance test, which came from one of our friends, Chris Hinshaw, who is an incredible aerobic coach, aerobic and training coach. And he tried to come up with this test that he could beat his kids at. So before you put your socks and shoes on, just put them in the floor in front of you. And then standing on one leg, bend down, grab your sock. Don't put your foot down. Put the sock on. Bend over, grab your same shoe, put your shoe on. And if you're a maniac, you can go ahead and switch. <laughs> you know, you're like both socks, then shoes. You don't have to go sock, shoe, sock, shoe, if that offends you. But okay, the, I think you have to go sock, shoe, tie, shoe, and then you put your foot down. I'm just saying a lot of people okay. on the internet are, get a little bit tweaked that you have to, like you have one naked yeah. foot and one fully dressed foot. That's my point. Okay, okay. So, but the idea here is you do that every day and you can mm -hmm. probably do it multiple times a day. 
And so you can work in this dynamic balance all the time. And that's really the magic to thinking about how to solve some of these use it or lose it phenomenon problems. Or like another thing that I like to do is I brush my teeth twice a day. And so I like to stand on one leg while I'm brushing my teeth. Novel. And it sounds so simple, but you just think like, look, you have two little teeny kids. Like you actually aren't even going to remember talking to us in a week. Um, You're going to have this part of your life is going to be a bit of a blackout and you don't have a lot of time to do a lot of things. But chances are you're still brushing your teeth twice a day as a, you know, a mom of young kids. And man, like pretty awesome that you could get actually four or five or six minutes of balance practice into your day doing something you're already doing and just standing on one leg brushing your teeth. We really want people to, if you listen to this, you have an opportunity to do something tonight for homework called sitting on the ground. So during your television viewing, and we know you're watching TV because the research is that it's one to three hours a night and it's how you're you're self-soothing. And if you're watching the documentary about the Tour de France, which we highly recommend, um, sit on the ground. And what you'll see is that during that 30 minutes, you're going to have to change positions a lot. And you've just done a ton of end range hip motion, and you probably had to get up and down off the ground. And so something that you're doing, we call the stacking these behaviors. If we can constrain the environment and stack these behaviors, get you to do the right thing without having to go, you know, put out a heroic amount of effort, you're likely to do it. Yeah. And especially with kids who you're on the ground a lot. Yeah. It's probably Um, good for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's great. And you guys led right into my next question because Julia, you had said earlier, like you guys have a very, very full lives, right? You're getting the kids out the door in the morning. Then you run a couple of businesses. So I love hearing how you guys are incorporating balance. What else are you doing to keep your hallway open? What else are you doing mobility wise throughout the day that someone listening that's like, oh my gosh, I don't even, I mean, myself, like I don't even have a second here or there. Yeah. What are some other things that people can take home and do just each day? Like you said, stacking those habits with things they're already doing and just build it into their lives. So I'll just say a couple things. I mean, we already talked about sitting on the floor, which is a great mm-hmm. one for 30 minutes. And, you know, what I would say is, you know, we like to do it while we're watching TV. Um, we do love to kind of sit at the end of our day and like watch an hour of television. So we'd usually do that sitting on the floor. But I know also a lot of people listening to this probably work from home. And so my recommendation to those people is to break up your day and have, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of your time on your laptop, just at your coffee table, sitting on the floor. That's another great way to do it, um, to just add in that time getting up and down off the floor and mobilizing. The other thing that we like to do is what we call, you know, peppering our environment or we in the book, it's creating a movement rich environment. But in our living room, if you came over to our house, you'd see that we have like a cute little mid-century modern basket that is filled with weird mobility tools like, you know, rollers, lacrosse balls, percussion guns, you name it. But we recommend that people just have a couple things lying around their living room. And and if you're already sitting on your floor while you're working on your laptop or watching TV, then you're going to be more likely to just, hey, grab that roller and roll out mm-hmm. your calves for 15 minutes or, you know, get, you know, if your neck is bothering you, put a lacrosse ball in there. So, you know, we, we are trying to help people say, okay, again, you're probably watching TV or working on your laptop during the day. You can also you know, add in a little bit of mobility work. So it's, again, you're not, you haven't put on your running shoes and left the house to go to a mobility class, which literally nobody's going to do. You've just fitted into your daily life, you know? And then the other thing that we're such gigantic fans fans of, and man, for like new new parents is just figuring out ways to walk and move more in the day. Um, You know, we're 
it's so not sexy, but we are our evangelists for walking and walking more um, and walking really being sort of like this amazing drug for your health and longevity. And, you know, and then the last thing I'll say is I think you'll really appreciate this. When we when our kids were little, we really actually even though the businesses we were running were gyms, um, we actually struggled to find time to actually do formal exercise. And we, Kelly developed a workout that we call the 10, 10, 10 at 10. And we would do some version of 10 air, air movements like air squat, push up, sit up, 10, 10 rounds, you know, 10 reps, 10 rounds for 10 minutes at 10 PM. Um, and man, like we were not going to go to the Olympics without workout. Um, but, but by doing that and making sure we were doing enough walking and sitting on the ground and doing a little mobilizing when our kids were little, like we were at least able to sort of maintain our fitness during that really sort of especially sleep deprived time crunch live, you know, part of our life. But I think what we took from that, I think the lesson that we learned from realizing that that worked for us is that is, is, is it debunked the myth of the one hour exercise block. I think we have trained ourselves to think, well, if I don't have an hour, I'm not going to do anything. And, and we're really trying to say, Hey, no, that's not true. Like you can actually make a massive amount of difference in how you feel in your health, overall health, your overall fitness and wellness, your resilience, you know, your durability as a human by doing a lot of little things in like five, 10 minute increments, like this balance practice while you're brushing your teeth or sitting on the floor while you're working on your laptop or watching TV, spending 10 minutes at the same time, rolling out your calf, you know, get adding in a little bit of walking instead of taking all your meetings on Zoom. I mean, there's so many little ways to add in this movement into your life that, again, are totally outside this framework we've created that like health means you go to a one hour class. You know, so we just want to explode that and say, man, there's so many ways that you can be adding these little practices in without without having to, you know, add on six one hour classes where you go to your like mobility class, your exercise class, your lifting class, your breathing class. And, you know, and then, you know, that's it. So, yeah. No, Julia, you're making me feel so good because right now in front of me on my couch, my office, we have a percussion gun and a roller. Uh And anywhere we have a TV, we have a foam roller, usually because we are like sore. Just I think also like breastfeeding my back always. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. It was just so tight. But if you looked even on our YouTube, like what I've searched is like five minute arm workout. With yes. weight. <laughs> because you don't have an hour. And then walking, I will say the one benefit of kids, or at least that we found is we walk so much more with kids because we call them sanity walks because yes. our toddler's strapped in. He can't get out. And, you know, our baby is too, but usually then she'll sleep and it's like, oh, this is so nice. Um, We are lucky that we live in a community, so it's easy to like walk safely as well. And it just, you want to walk more, but it's so nice. Like I think as a new parent, walking is like the best thing you can do because it supports your physical health, but it also really supports your mental health. Oh my God. That yeah, really brings and, yeah. Like also just the connection with your husband. I mean, I think that's what Kelly was going to say. I'll let you oh, say. Oh, and we get to actually you. drink our coffee. We yeah. actually get to drink and our talk coffee to each other without, uh-huh. It's really nice. I mean, you know, we have, we do this thing, you know, often after dinner where we just walk to the end of our block for 20 minutes. Um, and you know, I think the the obviously we get some steps in, and in fact, I calculated it. It's seventeen hundred and fifty steps. Takes about twenty minutes. But you know, not only do we talk to each other, but we actually interact with our neighbors and our community. Mm-hmm. You know, other people are out walking their dogs and in front of their houses, and 
And so it's like this, you know, it's this period where we actually have human connection with each other and with our community. And man, like for, for let our, let me be the voice health. of sanity here. Look, you two are talking about all the like nice things about walking. You don't realize that your body makes three to four liters of lymphatic fluid a day. And that lymphatic fluid is the sewage of your body. All the cells that get torn down, all the cleanup from muscle damage, all the the torn, torn down epithelial linings, all of that stuff goes out through your lymphatic system. And the only way you actually clear your sewage is if you contract your muscles because all your lymphatic, or you could just be upside down, which is a really weird way to live your life. And your head. But the idea here is we see that when people walk more, they actually move the sewage in. And what people don't understand is you have to take the waste out before you can bring the groceries in. And so if you want to have healthier feet and if you're smashing yourself and then being sedentary, you're not evacuating and sort of consummating the whole process. You have to move in order to move those debris processes through the system. And that's all done through muscle contraction. And so suddenly you're like, wow, if I just get 8,000 steps a day, I can reduce all-cause mortality by 51%. Yes, 8,000, not 10,000, not 12, not 15. And what suddenly you see as well, I just have to rethink about my environment a little bit. Instead of having to do some heroic thing where I go to the gym three days a week, the reason I'm a fan of walking is that I burn way more calories than I do you know, something else. And if I walk 8,000 steps seven days a week, the number of calories I burn is insane, way more than three one-hour Peloton workouts. And guess what? That means I get to eat more cookies. That's, that's what that means to me. I have more wiggle room in my diet. And that's what we're trying to show people is that there's never a single bottom line here. We get multiple bottom lines. And when these behaviors begin to stack, you suddenly see because I walked and because I did a little rolling, I fell asleep faster, right? Ultimately, what we find is that there's no one thing that's not important. At different times in your life, you should realize, hey, I'm really behind on this. I haven't eaten a fruit and vegetable because I'm traveling. Well, that means I just need to come back to my baseline and eat some fruits and vegetables next time I get an opportunity. Yeah. And that's, you know, so my, my final question for you too is what outside of movement do you both do in your daily lives that are kind of non-negotiables mm. that support your health and just make you feel good? You know, I'm sure Kelly would agree that we think sleep is the most important and we consider it to be a keystone habit from which all other good health habits and flow. the habit that most people are lying to themselves about yeah, and yeah. rationalizing. Importantly, it, like total, utter, complete exception for people with little kids yeah. because that's going to be a period or of your life. Sickness or trauma. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, you know, and so... Well, we, Julia, I will say this. It is, but the one thing I try to always tell new parents, you can control what time you go to bed, though. Mm. So even though you can be up throughout the night or maybe it's a really early riser in the morning, you can control if you're going to bed at 9 p.m. or 11 p.m. Right. No, right, like you might. The data shows that people are hustling, and they're starting businesses, and they're working the last two hours yeah. on a laptop. That's you're yeah. absolutely a hundred percent correct. I, we are we are not doing anything productive. Well, and and I'll tell you a quick story. Kelly actually was on a podcast, and a clip of it we posted on our Ready State social media, and he just said, "Hey, you know, people should be getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night." And you know that is like there's a lot of things that you can debate in the health and fitness space that you know when it comes to nutrition yeah. that's not no one 
No sleep scientist on earth disagrees with that statement. But man, that thing has like 3 million views and thousands of comments. And most of the comments are like attacks of Kelly because their four hours of sleep identity has been injured um, by him suggesting they should sleep seven to eight hours a night. And I think that was a really important lesson for us. And I think actually sort of continued to motivate us to try to get this book out into the world because I think, you know, those of us that are into health and fitness, like we all are and wellness, and we think about it and talk about it and practice it and talk to our friends about it. You know, I think we think that everybody is on board with some of the things that we consider to be so basic, like sleeping seven to eight hours a night. It turns out, man, like we have a lot of work. You know, that's what that post taught me is we have a lot of work to do to get the message out there. Um, And so I I I would say sleep is our... I think it was like 2008 or 2009. um, We made, uh, I went through and did this blood panel. We had a couple of kids, very little kids. And we were running the businesses and I got a blood panel done. And the woman was walking me through and she says, hey, I see here on your, your environment, kind of your survey, you have one to two cups of coffee a day. I was like, there's no hyphen. And it was just silence on the line. And she understood that I was saying 12 cups of coffee. (laughs) And she was like, what? You're drinking 12 cups of coffee? I'm like, that's three venti Americanos, which is I'm having one at five in the morning when I go to the gym to coach. I'm having one at about 11 and one at about three. And that's what's standing me up. (laughs) And here's what I want everyone to know. There was a time I'm drinking 12 cups of coffee. I didn't have diarrhea. It was all working. Comma, the half-life of caffeine is five hours. Mm. That means if you have coffee, and I'm a fast caffeine metabolizer, like I don't get all shaky and weird. I can, I can handle some caffeine. But that means caffeine is in your system for 10 hours. And if you're having energy drinks and, five, and all of this coffee late in the afternoon and all of these jacked 3D bang, like the amount of caffeine that people are getting is not a cup of coffee. They're drinking like five cups of coffee, 10 cups of coffee for these energy drinks. I guarantee you that your sleep is highly disrupted because you're slamming stimulants, which is making it difficult for you to actually feel the sleep pressure from the movement. Then, because if I had had tracking then, I would have seen how erosive all of that behavior was. Then I would be like, Juliet, this is early in the days. I'd be like, I probably need a glass of wine. And so I just yep. slam on the brakes mm-hmm. with a glass of wine. So now I've had this caffeine roaring through my system Plus, I'm trying to hit the brakes simultaneously. This is called playing gasso breako, which means you, you slam the gas pedal down and then you just slow and speed up by letting up the brake. Braking and gassing simultaneously in your car is really hard on your car. And that's one of the reasons that our sleep is so disrupted. So we just want people to understand, we know it's tricky and you have to start working on it and being disciplined about it. And an easy way to do that is to make sure that you're just in bed a half hour earlier tonight. If you just get a half mm-hmm. hour of extra sleep a night, you in you know, two weeks, you've slept an entire another day. That's that's remarkable. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up too, Kelly, because we even have, it's like, with clients, I'm like, by noon, no more caffeine. Yeah, it's yeah. probably 11. You know, and noon, then if you want to have your drink, usually, which let's say comes at the end of the night after the kids are in bed, let's bump that up to happy hour time when maybe you're, prepping dinner or because it does it just and it also it affects everyone a little bit differently too so you have to just take note of how it's making you feel as well and Um, i want everyone to understand that this is a common self-support strategy this is a survival strategy and we're not Mm -hmm. we're trying to give you other survival strategies because they're short-term short-term strategies they're not and really you're going to wonder why your lipid panel is off and 
why you're insulin sensitive and why you have a tendinopathy and why you suddenly start to see my, my skin looks terrible. <laughs> what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, but you're not going to like why it's happening because it's your survival strategy. But in professional sports, it's Adderall and Ambien. It's THC and massive amounts of caffeine. We're seeing that we're all struggling to go to sleep and wake up and feel alert. So just everyone understands, if we're going to really talk about durability, we have to get to brass tacks and really understand what the signal to data noise is because we're getting so much noise in the signal stream, it's hard to understand what's happening. Yeah, and I mean, you both know it's amazing too once you get off the caffeine or needing the alcohol to sleep, et cetera. And you're like, you can just tap into your own real energy stores. You're like, wait, this is amazing. I've had this <laughs> all along. I feel better than I did on yeah. a ton of caffeine. Yeah. Um, so it's really important. Well, this has been so helpful. We love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A. So I have three questions for both of you. First thing that comes to mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? For me, it's exercise. Yeah, I would say exercise and reading. I love to read. If, okay, if I'm, I'm an only, ch I'm yeah. only child, and if I'm alone, I'll read. No, I love that. It always, I feel like it calms you right down. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee, 100%. Yeah, Kelly, but I think I, I know you're but in. I, drink, you're I, probably... I like tea too. I like myself a good black tea. And how, but, do, you, uh, well, how do you guys take your coffee? What are you putting in it? I like a little coffee with like a splash of half and half in it. Mm -hmm. Real life, actual milk. Americano. I'm with you. Yeah, that's what I love too. Kelly, what about you? Americano, straight up. Um, favorite home-cooked meal? I make a really mean Thai basil chicken. I'm obsessed with Asian food. Um, I can send you the recipe, by the way, but yeah, I have please. a really, really good Thai basil chicken recipe that I make on the regular. I second that. Oh, that sounds so good. Is that is that your answer too, Kelly? Yeah, it'd be my answer too. Julia. Oh, okay. Then I gotta have the recipe, Julia. Okay. Have to email I'll send it. it to you. I'll email it to you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you both so much. Where can people, which I highly recommend anyone listening, they have to go to your social pages, even like just to see the tests and you you guys give out so much free information. And then obviously now you have the book, but where can people learn more, connect with you, tell us all the places. Sure. Uh, you can learn more about our book at builttomove.com. And we also have a free 21-day Built to Move challenge, which is like a video companion to the course. It's um, really just designed to help people see how they can fit in some of these habits into their lives. And then I am at Juliet Starrett on social and Kelly is at The Ready State, our company, and Kelly are at The Ready State on all the social platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. And hopefully we'll connect again soon. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. This week's actionable step is to try Kelly and Juliet's tip of brushing your teeth standing on one leg or putting your shoes on standing one leg, if able, to help improve your balance and mobility and in turn your longevity. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Wells, hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. 
If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.